guys, my name's Nick. Welcome to Mercy Hill. Uh, if I have not met you, I am the lead pastor here, and uh, we'll be getting into God's Word uh, this morning, as we always do. If you need a Bible, um, raise your hand, and lovely gentlemen will get one to you. But for those of you that already have a Bible in hand, um, you can turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. And uh, all we're going to bite off this morning is verse 28. I intended on going further, um, but sitting on the plane, coming back from, from our family reunion this last week, I just started reflecting on uh, the wonder of this single verse. And in many ways, the, the message I'm going to give today kind of um, came out of that time. Which, if you know anything about uh, traveling, flying with young kids, so I've got three kids, a newborn, a, she, Bella just turned four, Chloe's five. Uh, most of the time, plane rides, you're just, you're just fighting for survival, okay? But this time, God, I felt like I actually met me there, which is kind of cool. Uh, in the midst of the chaos, he speaks. Uh, okay, so Luke 7, verse 28. I'm going to read it. Don't let it pass you by too quickly. And then we'll, we'll pray and dive in. Just a quick background for it, though, is you recall that John um, was in prison and he sent these guys to some of his disciples to Jesus saying, man, are you the one or not? Like, what's going wrong with my life here? <laughs> are you the one to come or, or, or should I look for someone else? And um, Jesus does a few more miracles and sends John's disciples back to him, and then he turns to the crowd to kind of talk about who John is and what, what Jesus is doing, and, and this is the verse in the midst of that, uh, verse 28. Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Would you pray with me? God, we all come in with baggage. It's as if throughout the week we we accumulate cares. We accumulate burdens, things that we forget to cast upon you, things that we forget to bring to you, things that in the midst of our busyness we try to fix ourselves or don't even realize that tangling up our hearts. And God, we just, we're so happy to be gathered together as your people. We're so happy to be able to come and sit under your word. I mean, you speak and reality shifts. I mean, on day one of creation, you speak and reality comes into existence. So God, we pray you would come here and speak, that light would come forth from your word, that healing power would come forth through Jesus Christ, that these burdens and the things that we carry, God, would be rightfully brought to cross and left there. 
We pray you'd come, you'd meet with your people in, in their wilderness journey on the way to paradise. So according to Jesus' estimation in our text, and remembering that Jesus' estimation is the only opinion or estimation that matters. According to Jesus' estimation, John, among those born of women, is the greatest. Certainly, we are not willing to argue with Jesus at this point, uh, especially if you've been with us through Luke's gospel. Uh, you might recall with me, and I'll help you recall here for a moment, how much we've already seen about John the Baptist and how great this man really was. Um, we've seen, if you recall, that his whole ministry was in fact prophesied in the Old Testament, in particular uh, by the prophets Isaiah and Malachi. So, I mean, God was even looking forward to John's arrival and ministry. That says something about this man. We might remember that when John finally does enter the world, he does so in miraculous fashion. Um, his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, advanced in years, the scriptures say, and yet without child, because Elizabeth was barren. And yet, God says, no, 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 this is how this thing's going to go down. I'm just going to touch her womb, and John will be conceived. That sounds pretty great to me. And then you might remember what the angel Gabriel says to Zechariah about John. He tells him in particular, he will be great before the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That's Luke 1, 15. And we watch this kind of Holy Spirit womb filling thing going on in John's life almost immediately. Because... Uh, Elizabeth goes with child to visit Mary, who's also with child, Jesus. And we're told that when the two come into contact with one another, John in the womb, aware that he is somehow aware that he is present uh, it, near the Lord, leaps for joy. In effect, turning his own mother towards the Christ. I mean, his ministry begins before his life even really begins least outside the womb. That's pretty great. And then he's born, and we read that the hand of the Lord was with him, Luke 1, 66, and that he grew and became strong in spirit and was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel, Luke 1, 80. So he's just growing, he's strong, and here's the crazy thing about John, he's not attached to the things of this world. He wants God's kingdom to come. And he's so uh, anxious, he's so passionate 
He's willing, to, he's willing to go ascetic. He's willing to go crazy in the desert for this. I'm going to wear camel's hair. I want my clothing to hurt, to remind me things aren't the way that they ought to be, and I want the kingdom to come. I'm going to eat bugs and honey. Now, honey sounds nice, but, but locusts don't. Because I'm not going to participate in kind of the, the pleasures of this life until God's kingdom comes, you see. He's passionate. He's devoted to Yahweh. That sounds pretty great to me. And then we're told in Luke 3, 2, that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. God himself gives to John his word. And he says, now, what are you going to do with it? Is John going to sit on that word? So you just kind of bury it and hide it in a way. He takes that word and he goes with all boldness to Israel and begins to declare it. Repent, we read, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's been waiting in the desert for that moment. And then without fear, without hesitation, brings it. So John was great on a number of different levels, but what sets him apart as the greatest person born of a woman is not so much who he is or what he does, but where he stands in God's unfolding plan of redemption. And think with me, if you know the Bible, the Old Testament, um, then you might be aware that all the stuff I just said about John isn't all that unique, actually. I mean, there have been some amazing dudes in, in biblical history. You got Noah, right? He's standing against a whole, you know, a whole world that's gone dark for God. You know, you've got Abraham, who's, he, he doesn't know where God's leading him, but in faith, he just steps out. You know, you've got Moses, who, the guy just has a stick. He raises it and waters part. That's out of control. That's amazing. You know, and you could keep going. You got David, the man after God's own heart. And you've got these prophets who also, we talk about like with Jeremiah, I set you apart from the womb and all these things. So these guys had amazing ministry. So why John? Why is John the greatest? Well, it's not so much because of who he is or what he does, but where he stands in God's unfolding plan of redemption. That's what sets him apart, you see. He has this privileged place to kind of stand right on the threshold as the, as the Christ, the King, is coming into the world. And so where all these previous servants of God were looking forward to some shadowy silhouette of a coming King, like we know he's out there and he's coming, that's what Moses and Isaiah and all these guys were looking for, the coming of this king. Well, John the Baptist, as the last one in that line, actually gets to see him. Not just a shadow, but his face. And baptize him in the River Jordan. and Lay his hands on him. So what tips the scales in John's favor, the greatest born among Women is his place in the timeline of God's redemption. He is the last finger 
<laughs> and a whole long line of, of fingers that have been pointing forward to the coming Christ. He is the finger that actually gets to touch the Savior. So he's the greatest, Jesus said. But here's the question that we're now going to spend the rest of this morning attempting to answer. Like, I didn't come here for a history of John the Baptist. Well, hold on. I'm not done. Here's the question that we're now going to spend the rest of our time together trying to answer. If John is so great, how in the world could I, Nick Weber, little old me, be greater than him. Because that's what Jesus goes on to say. I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, Nick Weber, least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. The whole reason for taking us through the history of John the Baptist there for a moment is just to say, he was amazing. And Jesus' estimation of you, the only estimation that matters, is that you, if you are in fact in the kingdom of God, through Christ, and his work on the cross, are greater. That that ought to shock us. That ought to make us step back and go, how can that be? Now, as is typical with me, I had a ton of answers to that question. <laughs> Tons of places I wanted to take us. Uh, and then last night, um, I made my decisions and made my cuts and broke my heart. And I'll bring three to the table this morning uh, to be merciful to you. Let's <laughs> go so let me take them one at a time. First, we are greater than John because we have a greater revelation. We are greater than John. We who are in the kingdom of God, we who have repented of our sin, uh, received by faith the work of the Messiah. Been born again from above. We are greater than John because we have a greater revelation on this side of the cross. It should be said here that uh, John is a transitional figure in the scriptures. Okay? He's, he's, he's kind of this bridge. That's what makes him so important. He's this bridge between the old era the Old Testament, really, and the New Era, the, the New Testament, the stuff unfolded, the New Covenant, and the coming of Christ. And John stands kind of as this transitional figure, this bridge between the two in God's plan. And Jesus is here saying, but ultimately, John stands on the side of the old, the side of the, the shadow, okay? Even though he sees Jesus, he doesn't see fully. In fact, we'll see later, he dies before uh, uh, even realizing the, that Jesus will go to the cross and what he'll accomplish there. 
John dies before ever getting that fullness of revelation. So the old era that John is a part of is, is really this era of anticipation, of promise, of looking forward. But then the new era and the New Testament now is really this era of fulfillment, the arrival of Christ. In the old, they were looking for God to come. He promised I would come. He said he would come. He's putting pictures everywhere, telling him, I will come and I will do this. And then in the New Testament, he finally does come in the person of Jesus Christ. Promise to fulfillment. The Bible speaks of what's happening in this transition from old to new, from promise to fulfillment as the revealing of mysteries. Now, we're not talking about, you know, like murder mysteries here. When the scriptures talk about mystery, they're not talking about, I don't know who you might think of. I think of like Agatha Christie or something like that. One of those novels or what? That's old, isn't that? That's old school. That's what I read when I was a kid. I don't know. Um, Hardy Boys, you ever read those? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. When the Bible talks about mystery, it's talking about something hidden in the promises and prophecies, the symbols and shadows of the Old Testament that is now revealed in the coming of Jesus Christ. Something hidden now revealed. That's why Paul in Romans 16, 25 to 26 says that in his gospel, and as he's preaching Jesus Christ, what is happening is there's this revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. There's this mystery that is now being revealed to us through the gospel, through the person work of Jesus Christ. Things that of old were hidden, they didn't see it fully clearly. It was shadowed, shrouded, silhouette. Later in Colossians 1.26, he says, Paul again, the mystery hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed to his saints. The context there, in Christ. So there is stuff from of old that was shrouded, hidden, that is now being revealed, mysteries now being revealed in Christ. It might help you to see your Bibles almost as if kind of on a, a sort of dimmer switch, okay? Where as you kind of, with every turn of the page, it's kind of like things are getting a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter. We're kind of turning that dimming switch up a bit. And so you're, you're moving through Genesis and things are a bit dark and dim and we don't understand. And then you get uh, through the Torah to the writings and the prophets and things start to turn up a little bit. But then it's like it's maxed out when Jesus shows up on the scene and light just kind of breaks forth and revelation of things hidden now start to make sense. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
goes on to say, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. He's the light. He is the light of the world, in fact. Jesus himself tells us that in John. He is the maxed out dimmer switch. He is everything Genesis through Malachi we're pointing towards, we're anticipating. And we, brothers and sisters, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, in the New Era, the Era of Fulfillment, walk in that light, you see. And John did not. He did not. This recalls what we said last time when I talked about John's doubt. The dungeon of his doubt. As he sat there in Herod's kingdom going, or Herod's palace or whatever it was going, man. How is this good news? Where's the judgment of Christ here? I'm dying here. Right? He didn't understand how things would transition from promise to fulfillment, from shadow to substance. He got tripped up. He got confused. He got doubtful. He could not yet see. Uh, how I put together the clues to solve the mystery. Hidden in the old, revealed in the new. Later, Jesus in private discussion with his disciples. He's creating a new covenant people. He's, he's bringing people into his kingdom. You and I are part of this. Turns to his disciples and says this in Matthew 13, 11, and skip down to verses 16 and 17. To you, he says, it has been given to know the secrets, or same word in the Greek, mysterion, mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Did you catch the privilege that we have? I mean, they're getting to watch Jesus, see his miracles. They're getting to hear Jesus, hear his teaching. I want you to be aware that we, we are not told that John ever saw with his own eyes a miracle of Jesus. Or that he ever heard with his own ears the teachings of Jesus fully. He was imprisoned. He was beheaded before the fullness of this stuff would work out. Yes, he saw a dove, the Holy Spirit descend like a dove. And yes, he, he, he pushed some of his disciples towards the Christ. But no, he would not see all this. He did not get the privilege that, the, that Jesus' disciples did. And watching how the Savior would interact with the sick and the poor and the sinner, the tax collector, the, the, the prostitute. And watching as he died on Calvary and then, and, then, and then standing in wonder at the empty tomb. John would not see any of this. He would not get it. it
he would die without an understanding of these mysteries. Right? Brothers and sisters, it's not the case for us. Do you understand that? Is that amazing? Should should amaze us. I can't remember who it might be Peter, I think. He says, listen, the stuff of old, I mean, the angels are longing to look into what is now being revealed to us in the gospel. I mean, all of creation longing to see how is God going to bring all of this about and restore things. And that is being revealed to us in Christ. And we just twiddle our thumbs sometimes. Eh, Yeah, it's the gospel. I wear a cross around my neck. I know the story. It's amazing. John, I mean, John gave his life. John would have given everything to know what we know. So unlike the prophets before him, John was granted to look in the face of Christ. But still, like the prophets before him, his understanding of who this Christ is, how he would inaugurate his his kingdom, was still shrouded in mystery and shadow. But we have gospels. Recording for us the work of Christ. What he accomplished. We have the epistles. As, as God empowers apostles and others to, to write and help interpret what the cross means for me and you. We have the, the revelation, the apocalypse of John saying, man, this is how it's going to end. And in that sense, we have more than John ever did. We have a greater revelation so let me teleport us now for a moment to um a scene in your life perhaps you're sitting at a bible study home group whatever i hope you are hope you're in one and you know somebody asks a question you know from the bible and you don't know the answer and here's yet another moment where you feel ashamed For how little you know about the Bible. Gosh, I hear these people talk about their walks with Jesus, their devotional life, how rich it was, and the scriptures that just opened up to them. I hear when they pray how they quote all these texts and all this stuff about the Bible, and I feel woefully inadequate, almost ashamed, borderline like I don't even want to go. They're going to use these Jesus Christian Bible words and I'm going to get lost and feel stupid. I feel like the least in the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you something. If you know, if you've understood, believed that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead on the third day for your justification and forgiveness, And he's coming back for you. He will receive you to himself in glory. If you know that, if you understand that, Chloe understands that. Chloe knows more than John the Baptist ever did. And in that sense, you are greater now on this side of the cross than John. We have in Christ a greater revelation. This sermon, um, I don't want it to be difficult 
to answer the question, how in the world are we in the new, in the, new, in the kingdom of God greater than John? To, to answer this question requires a, a full scope of, 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 of biblical stuff. So forgive me if I'm losing you in some of this. Um, some of my messages uh, accent more, you know, practical stuff. Sometimes I want to go just more theological with you guys. That's where we're at today. So if I lose you, if I start st- seeing the screensavers, I'll try to wake you up. Talk to me afterwards if you got questions. But don't, don't go anywhere. Stay with me. I want you to open up your Bibles and know how this stuff fits together and what it means for your life. Second reason. So first, we have a greater salvation than John. Second reason we are greater than John is because we actually have what I would say is a greater salvation. Now, I want to be careful here because I'm not saying that Old Testament saints are saved in a different way than we are and that our way is now greater or better. No, no, no. We know that Old Testament saints were saved by grace through faith in the the work of the Messiah, just like we are. Just like we are. But our salvation is greater now on this side of the cross in the sense that our understanding and experience of it is deeper, fuller, richer. Now, deeper, fuller, richer on this side of the cross. Again, to take that dimmer switch analogy... It's as if, again, in Christ, the the wattage has just been thrown up. And so what was a flicker in the Old Testament is now a fire in the hearts of New Testament believers. Not different in kind, but degree. You see, even John didn't fully understand what this salvation would look like. As I kind of have already alluded. He had an earthly, physical perspective on it, okay? Like salvation's going to mean he crushes Rome, you know, comes on his white steed, breaks me out of this prison, and we go marching off into the sunset, establishing a kingdom here and now. That's salvation. It's what I read in the Old Testament, John would say. Jesus is going to go much deeper than John ever realized. Edmund Clowney writes eloquently about this in a book I heartily recommend uh, named The Church. He says this, Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. The cross is the way of his saving grace. His disciples did not understand this. To them, messianic salvation meant political deliverance from the Romans in Herod's prison. Now he's essentially referencing the text we looked at last week. John the Baptist was dismayed that Jesus did not use his power to bring in the judgment. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus sent John's disciples back to him as witness of the messianic miracles that fulfilled prophecy. He added a word for John. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And here's what I want you to listen to carefully. Jesus was in fact telling John, trust me to bring in my kingdom my way. Had he brought judgment, Jesus could have spared neither Herod nor any sinner. 
not even doubting John. Jesus came in the flesh not to bring the judgment, but to bear it. Did you hear that? Not to bring the judgment, but to bear it. Not to slay with the sword of his lips, but to receive the nails in his hands and the spear thrust in his side. In no other way could his kingdom come and God's will be done in earth as in heaven. John didn't get it. But Jesus is essentially saying, John, I'm going to go deeper than Rome here. We're going to deal with the powers behind Rome. Satan and the forces of darkness. You don't even realize those are the enemies. And we're going to deal with, with the evil within your own heart. I'm going to go after the sin that separates you from a holy God. In essence, Jesus is saying, John, if I save your head from Herod, I will lose your soul to hell. Catch that? We're going to go deeper. And because we're going to go deeper, by my work on the cross, I can call you into not just a temporal kingdom, but an eternal and an everlasting one. Where you will dwell with God in righteousness and glory forever. Forever. The Old Testament is earthly and physical. Um, it's it talks about kings, real people sitting on thrones. It talks about animal sacrifices, gruesome, brutal, bloody stuff. It talks about the temple complex, buildings that you would enter and process through. It talks about a holy land that was located in a place on earth, but in all of these things, all of these physical, earthly things, God is trying to get at deeper spiritual realities, things he will bring to light in the coming of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews calls these earthly forms in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Old Era, copies or shadows of the heavenly realities. So all this stuff in the old, if it, it helps you to see this, it's almost as if there's these heavenly realities casting a shadow on the earth. And that is the temple, the kings, and all these other earthly things. But there's something greater that God is going to take us into in Christ. And the heavenly realities come down when he comes down. So the promised Davidic king is fulfilled in Jesus as he is crucified, risen, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and sits down on the throne. I mean, in the Old Testament, they were promised, you're going to have a king always sitting on the throne of David. Well, where is he? He's in heaven. That's where our king is, forever. The animal sacrifices, that, that one's easy. You've probably heard that before. But, but all of these, you know, constant daily sacrifices, man, were all fulfilled in the coming of Christ when he goes to the cross and offers himself there. And he, the author of Hebrews says, man, he, he, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's it. It took, it took thousands of offerings, millions of offerings throughout the Old Testament, and those could not take away sin. They were all pictures to get to the one offering that could. We're going deeper, John, than animals, than Rome. Or you remember 
the temple, right? And, and the presence of God dwelling with man. What happens with the coming of Christ? The temple's broken down, the physical one. And then what do we read? The church, you and I, me. I am a temple of God. Because the Holy Spirit, now not dwelling somewhere off behind all these curtains, but now dwelling in me, pours out his spirit and I become, you become the temple of the living God. He dwells with us intimately. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's amazing. Or the land of promise. The land of promise. It's not some boundaried plot of land somewhere in the Middle East. No. It's a heavenly land, we're told in Revelation. A new Jerusalem that is coming down out of heaven like a, like a bride. Adorn, uh, is that right? Bride. Adorned for the bridegroom. God gives us this new land from heaven as a gift. But it's not located in acreage here on the earth. He's moving us into the ultimate realities, from the copies and the shadows to ultimate things. And that's what we participate in. So ours, brothers and sisters, after the cross is a greater salvation. It's fuller, it's richer, it's deeper. We not only know more than the Old Testament saints knew, we experience more, a greater degree of it. Christ in me. It's incredible. And that's, what, that's why in Hebrews 11, at the end of this whole long thing about how awesome the Old Testament saints were and they walked by faith, uh, he, he wants to make sure we don't understand. He says, listen, but no matter how great the Old Testament saints were, they could not be complete or perfected without us. Because all of that was pointing to what's happening now in the kingdom of Christ. And if you stop there, the whole thing aborts. Because all of that is pointing to where we're headed now. With Christ. So, you might feel like your life is a wreck. Anybody feel that way? Today, you don't have to raise your hand. Probably would, would hang your head. That's how I'll know. <laughs> My life is a wreck. Like everything is just, I, everything I hope for, work for, falling apart in front of my eyes. Herod is coming for my head. Let me tell you something. You will not experience the dungeon the same way that John did. You will not. You cannot. I mean, that's the meaning of Christ in you. Did you see? That's why Jesus would tell his disciples, it's better that I go away. We think better than the physical presence of Christ with us? Yes, because the, because the spirit of Christ will be in you. In the valley of the shadow, you are not alone. In the dungeon, you are not alone. Christ is in you in a way that he was not in John the Baptist. As he struggled there. And you have a hope of glory in the midst of suffering that he knew nothing about. 
I mean, we know now that the kingdom, we will enter the kingdom through many tribulations. We're not as tripped up by the suffering because we follow the suffering Savior and we watch his life, the pattern of his life. Death, then resurrection and glory. He says, that's what you're on. And I'm in you to make sure you stay on course. You won't experience the dungeon in the same way because your salvation is greater. It's deeper. It's fuller. In that sense, we're greater than John. Now, this is the one, in case you're worried, that I will go quickest with. Number three. We have a greater commission. We have a greater revelation. We have a greater salvation. And now we have a greater commission. At first, you might hear that and think that it sounds crazy. Do we have a greater commission than John the Baptist? Seriously? Who's heard of Nick Weber? Nobody. Who's heard of John the Baptist? A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. His commission seemed really important, Nick. Are you seriously going to say that we now have a greater commission than he did from Almighty God? I mean, he was the voice, the voice calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He was that voice. That's John's voice. He's a forerunner to the Messiah. And we saw it at the beginning. He's the first prophet in a long line of prophets to actually see and touch the Christ. I haven't seen him. I haven't touched him. You're telling me our commission is greater than that? Yes, I am. On this side of the cross, with the greater revelation and the greater salvation that we know about? Yes, I am. Let me just think about this with you for a moment. John is called to point to Jesus from the side of promise. We get to point to Jesus from the side of fulfillment. Here's how it all came to pass. Here's what he has done. Here's how faithful our God has been. John could speak of Jesus as the Christ. But only we get to speak of Jesus on the cross. John could call people to repent. But we get to call people not only to repent, but to repent and to receive all that Christ has accomplished for them. John got to baptize with water. Brothers and sisters, we get the privilege of watching people, of bringing people into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Watch them be born again from above because of the gospel preached from our silly little lips. As God meets with them, regenerates them, saves them, falls upon them. John was sent to the nation of Israel. We are sent to the ends of the earth. So you tell me which commission is greater. Say, God really blew it, man. If he's calling us into something greater than John. I don't know. I mean, I've not lived in the desert. Uh, I start complaining when a heat 
wave comes through San Jose. And my house is 90 degrees because it's single pane windows or whatever. John's out there austere and devoted and dedicated. You're telling me? I am. Our commission is greater. To put a capstone on this point, consider the story narrated for us in Acts 19. During Paul's third missionary journey, he comes upon some disciples in Ephesus. And these guys had been led to follow the Lord through Apollos, who actually did not know beyond John's baptism. Okay, he hadn't heard of the baptism of the Spirit. Let's, let's listen to this here as Paul meets these people and talks to them. Acts 19, verses 2 through 6. He says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, oh, I'm sorry. And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. You hear what's happening? There's a transition from old to new. And in the new, there's something greater. <laughs> The baptism of John is incomplete. They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. They just repented and were waiting. Well, the baptism of John was meant to point and lead into the baptism of Christ and the baptism of his spirit, where we're made new from the inside out. And our calling, our commission, our privilege is not to stay with the baptism of John, wa washing them and having them wait. Ours is to come and say, man, it's arrived. And to lead them into the fullness of all of these things. That is an incredible commission. It is a greater commission, I dare say. So you might feel... You might feel like your ministry, your personal ministry is pathetic. Like you want to share with all these people when you're on your knees in the morning or the night, and then you walk out into your day and it's just, da, 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 you know, you're just scared, worried, can't get a word out. What are they going to think? Well, they're not going to like me. And you look at John's ministry. You look at what he did. You look at his impact. You see all the people of Israel coming to him around the River Jordan. And you go, no way is my commission greater, my ministry greater than that. You kidding me? I'm a part of something greater than that. Yes, you are. I'll tell you something. If you, if you have spoken through the fear and the timidity by faith to just one person, about the Christ who was crucified for them, who rose again for them, who loves them, wants to save them, make them new from the inside out. You have said more than John ever did or could. It's a greater commission. It's a greater privilege. It's a greater honor. You believe that? Now, I was going to look at the time at this point and decide whether I was going to do this. I'm going to do it. Give me five more minutes of your time. I wanted to conclude 
actually by addressing the, the if, if there are any, the unbeliever in our midst. Uh, a non-Christian, a person who looks at all that we just talked about and says, ancient book for the Jews, and I guess now for this little group of Christians, but totally irrelevant for my life. Thank you, pastor. I'll go home now. Let's back that up for a moment. I want to show you how relevant what we just looked at is for you. The skeptic, person wondering, what is Christianity all about? I'm going to take each of these points, three points, one by one, show you this. First, greater revelation. We have a greater revelation. Well, let me tell you, everyone, everyone is looking for a greater revelation. Do you realize that? Whether you're a Christian or not, you are looking for someone to make sense of the facts of the world for you. You get a sense that you are finite, that you don't know all the facts. You might even be willing to admit that you're also fallen, that whatever facts you do know, you actually kind of twist and don't see them rightly. And so you are looking for a greater revelation. Who can make sense of the world? Who can make sense of my life, of why things are the way that they are, why I am the way that I am, and how can I move forward when I'm stuck? I mean, this is why you might follow the politicians that you do. Who can tell me what's going on in the world? This is why you might listen to the TED Talks that you do. Or we look for some sort of revelation to come to us from scientists. Big one now, who? Darwin. Who can tell me where I came from, where I'm going? A scientist can. He's got authority to speak. Does he really? The Bible says that you're not going to get a greater revelation from another finite fallen human being. You need the one who is outside of all the facts, not finite, but infinite. The one who is not twisted inside, but holy and pure, perfect. You need him. You need God to speak and make sense of the world. Test the scriptures. Test out the biblical worldview. It makes a whole lot more sense than evolution or anything else you can come up with of why the world is the way it is and you are the way that you are. You ought to listen. In Christ, we have a greater revelation. You're also looking for a greater salvation. You might not say you need a Messiah. You need a Christ. You might not even say you need a Savior. But you know that something is broken in you. You know that life is not the way it ought to be. Not just out there, but in here. The anxieties that keep you up at night. Why can't I just get along with my spouse? There are times where you just grow tired of blaming everybody else and you realize, man, maybe something's wrong with me. You might do kind of what John did and not go deep enough. You might locate the problem somewhere else, like in Rome, right? It's, I need salvation from financial distress or, or you know, relational strife or whatever it is. 
but you know you need saving. You know it's not ideal yet. That's why you go to the psychologist. Help me. That's why you pop the pills or drink the booze or get that degree or look for another job or change location. Something's got to save me. The Bible says, listen, it's not going to come that way. The greater salvation you're looking for is coming in Christ, has come in Christ. He's the only one who can change from the inside out. He's the one who's putting back together the world. Finally, you're looking for a greater commission. Everyone wants a purpose in life, something greater to live for. Everyone wants something that makes life worth living, right? I want to be a part of something big. I want to be, I want to have meaning or significance. And those that might say they don't, it's just because they've been hurt in the process or they're afraid of failing or they've numbed some of their pain so much that they no longer care. But in us, there's this desire for something bigger, something more, right? We want our name on a wall somewhere. Or we, 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 we try to get a, be a part of causes or we, we think that if we work harder and we climb the, the, the ladder at the office or whatever it is, that we'll find it and we... we we don't. It always falls flat. And the scripture says you're not going to find it till you fall in line behind the name above all names. And you walk into this greater commission and take part in, in his renovating of the world. I mean, there is no greater joy. There's no greater significance than leading another person into the new life that's found in Jesus Christ. That's what you're after, non-Christian, whether you know it or not. And God is calling not just believers into this, but the world through his son. Let's pray. Jesus, you amaze us. We are not about to say that we are greater than John because of anything in us. <laughs> We know that the same thing that set John apart from the prophets before him is the same thing actually that sets us apart from John. It's our place in the timeline of your redemption. He stood before, we're after. Now, God, help us by your spirit to be faithful, stand amazed, to walk in these truths. We worship you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.